0: They said yes, and so, oh my gosh, people were just like, are you kidding me, Gabrielle? Why would we host a free concert in the parking lot on Saturday before our home opener? Everybody has pressure points. Stuff. I mean, it was just, how are we going to you know, clean it? How are we going to get everything done? So the first year we hosted the Blues Travelers, and um, gosh, who was the second band? I'm forgetting the second band. Uh, a great evening, it was a ton of fun. Last uh, year, during our hundredth season, we hosted the Steve Miller Band. They're from Wisconsin. We had to shut down the street. We had to shut down, we had over 25,000 people showed up.
1: Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders, game-changing influencers, and next-level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your host, CEO and founder of Energy to Perform, international speaker and leadership performance coach, Craig Johns.
2: On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we speak with an energetic, flamboyant, outgoing, generous, creative, and extremely humble leader. She earned her BA in English Literature, MBA in Warsaw Sports Marketing, and Doctor of Law degrees from the University of Oregon. Our guest has 25 years of diverse experience in professional sports, entertainment, and venues. Her career has included being the Marketing Manager at AEG, where she marketed the LA Lakers and a number of venues such as the Staples Center, as well as Senior Executive Marketing Roles with the Florida Panthers. Baltimore Ravens, and most recently, the Green Bay Packers. In her current role as Vice President of Marketing and Fan Engagement, she has ensured that the Green Bay Packers remain at the cutting edge of commercial innovation. The Packers are stronger than ever with initiatives such as Packers Everywhere, Packers Pass, and Packers Perks Program. I am honored and privileged to introduce to you one of the world's top sport marketing leaders has been recognized as Maryland top 100 woman and smart CEO executive management award winner, who is an amazing mother of two children, Gabrielle Dow, Gabrielle, welcome to the show.
0: Uh, Craig, thank you for happy, having me, and I don't know about my kids would agree with you about me being amazing, <laughs> I just got on them last night for homework and chores, so, uh, so I, I think that fan base is, is, uh, is not existent
2: <laughs> Well, thank you very much for your time, and uh, for the listeners out there, sorry, I've got bronchitis at the moment, so it might sound a little husky, but uh, in the background behind Gabriel is the Lambau Field, which is pretty incredible. Um, And it's great to see the Green Bay Packers off to a winning start, currently leading the NFC North Division. But before we dive headfirst into your incredible work at the Green Bay Packers, let's take a trip down memory lane. So growing up in San Francisco, the centre of liberal activism in the USA and birthplace of the United Nations must must have provided an incredibly diverse upbringing. You know, for you, Gabrielle, what was life like growing up in a city that is known for ethnic clustering, the Golden Gate Bridge, and an eclectic mix of architecture and landmarks?
0: Well, uh, and also um, north of that is the wine country. So let's not forget that wonderful area.
2: Ah, now you've piqued my interest.
0: Napa Napa, and Sonoma. So for all our listeners, um, where I'm from is Marin County, so that's across the Golden Gate Bridge. And, uh, and kind of sandwiched between San Francisco and Napa, Napa Valley and Sonoma, um, I, I lived a wonderful um, a wonderful life in the Bay Area is what kind of the whole area is called. And I'm an only child, and uh, and my um, my parents, um, my mom and dad, uh, had a wonderful home. Both I was wor- worked, um, they both worked full time, and so I at a young age. Responsibilities and and uh, got knew how to take you know I mean I was taking public transportation you know bef- as a kid because you just had to because you're in a thriving city and a thriving area and, uh, and you kind of you kind of grow up fast but um, but it was just it's wonderful the weather the the beauty the city itself um, a really privileged and wonderful childhood upbringing and i uh, very blessed
2: yeah beautiful and, and I've, I've visited there before and I absolutely love. Just the diversity there, which is pretty, pretty amazing. Was sport a big part of your childhood?
0: Well, actually, my father, um, and I didn't really understand this as a kid. My dad um, was, uh, first of all, he was a frogman in, uh, in the um, Korean War. And then when he came back, he played, um, he played, went to San Jose State. He played football for um, a college in San Jose. And part of the California um, school system, and uh, and so and he played with a gentleman by the name of Dick Fermiel, and who was another um, football player, NFL football player, and also coach. And then his coach, his assistant coach at the time, was Bill Walsh. So Bill Walsh is a famous coach, as you would know, of the 49ers and did several Super Bowls under his hat. And so my father um, played football under Bill Walsh at San Jose State and then um, was drafted by um, the Baltimore Colts and um, the Los Angeles Rams so which are now the Baltimore Ravens and, um, and now it is the Los Angeles Rams but they moved to St. Louis and they came back so as you know so, um, so I didn't really know this as a kid growing up so I guess you could say it was in my blood um, I went to law school and business school in Oregon But I was, my whole goal in life was to become um, a lawyer and work in the FBI. So this was not, sports was not on the radar of where I wanted to be or what I wanted to do. I completely stumbled in this business. But back to my dad being a frogman, I swam, um, I was swimming well before I could walk. In fact, and we had a swimming pool um, and I was on every swim team possible and in swam in high school and then um actually before i went to oregon i went down to santa barbara for swimming and then i transferred up to oregon but but swimming was a bit my big sport in uh and, and when i was little and up until high school and through not through college but um but it was a great sport
2: you don't normally associate the fbi with the university of oregon it is normally sport so what actually lured you to eugene
0: well uh journalism and uh the journalism program so i i wanted I thought that might be where I wanted to go. And the, and the J school was big at Oregon and it was big at USC. So I was gonna leave Santa Barbara and figure out my next step. Um, Santa Barbara was wonderful and great. And I loved surfing and swimming <laughs> every day, but I needed to focus. And so um, I transferred up to Oregon for their journalism school. So my English degree um, comes into, under that program. And, uh, and then I finished um, undergrad and I got a job right away from Macy's in the buying office. And so I moved to San Francisco, back to San Francisco, and I was a buyer from Macy's. And then um, throughout my um, my travels, I applied to law school and got into Oregon's law school. And that's when I decided, okay, yes, I'd like to probably go into the study of law and you know, the different careers of that, maybe being a DA or or um, or doing something in that realm. Got into law school, went there, um, and, uh, and then ended up clerking back at a firm in San Francisco for a tax firm and was incredibly bored. So I went back to my boss at Macy's and said, I don't know if I want to be a lawyer. I might change careers. And she's like, well, what do I need? I go ask her, what do I need to do to be you? And she was in the buying office and she said, well, go get your MBA. So then I called Oregon, took the test online and got into their joint program, which is a JD MBA program and it's four years. So by then I was already a second year in law school and they added my third year of business school and the fourth year of school, you're doing both degrees at the same time. And when I got to the program, a gentleman by the name of Rick Burton uh, asked me, uh, there were 20, but you had to pick a concentration, excuse me, so you had to pick a concentration, so there's HR, there's finance, and there's marketing, and they had a sports marketing department, the MBA program, and they said, well, um, there's one spot left, you need to go interview. So I go and I interview with Rick Burton, and he asked me, "Well, why should I care about you? And I said, "Because someday you will tell your class about my career." Oh! And to this day, right now, he tells that story. Now, of course, I made that up. I completely <laughs> had no idea that this would be my career, and I just BS my way to get into that program. <laughs> but, uh, but apparently, it worked, and uh, and so my first internship while I was there Um, with the program was uh, the Portland Trailblazers were looking for, and that's a basketball team in Portland, they were looking for a clerk. So Mike Fennell was the team lawyer and I drove an hour and 45 minutes each way and I would go and work for him Uh, and then the the PR department at the Blazers discovered I could write and run stats and I, I was going to law school and business school and they're like, oh my gosh, would you come work for us too? And so I, my first actual real career is with the Portland Trail in sports. Is with the Portland Trailblazers, uh, in their legal department, and then running stats in their PR department.
2: No, oh, just the Portland Trailblazers. So your your career really kicked off when you became marketing manager of AEG, um, where you looked after the LA Lakers, Staples Center, Kodak Theater, and the Forum. Now, for sports fans out there, they must be thinking you must have been a kid in a candy store. So what was it like to work with the LA Lakers, who are one of the world's biggest sporting brands and just absolute superstars?
0: Well, back then, so Staples Center opened in 99, so I started with them in 98, and I actually started while in school as an intern. So I went down in the summer and lived with friends just to get my foot in the door. And so they said, come on back. And uh, and, and so I guess at the time, Jeannie Bus owner and president of the uh, CEO of the Lakers was working with David Stern on marketing to non NBA markets. So her preseason, she worked with other teams to go and head to cities that didn't host the NBA, which was brilliant. And so she wanted to grow the NBA and her brand. And so she would partner with other teams and then go look in the cities that didn't have the NBA and schedule the games there. My job for her was to market in that city, but also to market against college football because that's what was going on during the time. Because those cities that typically don't have a professional sports team, uh, either Friday Night Lights, high school football is big, and of course, college football is big. So um, it was that's really what I did for the Lakers uh, was preseason and really marketing. Uh, the cities that they were traveling to, uh, to, to, to grow and, and build their brand, which was um, genius at the time and completely Genie Buss' um, idea. And then, I mean, regular home games sold out. I mean, at the time, you know, I was with for, for three championships. It was wonderful.
2: Yeah. So, so at this time, you're kind of falling in love with marketing sport entities. Sure. Um, you know, and that led to a role with the Florida Panthers, you know, what personal characteristics and traits did you feel were really pivotal to your success in marketing and leader early in your career?
0: Well, I mean, at the time we didn't have the internet, <laughs> so I mean, we really didn't have. I mean, marketing in a nutshell is putting in butts in seats, selling tickets, and selling tickets and selling sponsorships and activations. It's uh, but ultimately, it's putting butts in seats, it's filling our buildings. And, uh, and, and so it's funny because everyone's like, oh, do you love sports? No, I love the business of sports and I love marketing sports because I, ha- you know, the goal is that everybody who walks through that door is spending money and sitting in a seat and competing with, whether you're in Los Angeles or you're in Florida, um, all sorts of different experiences and other areas where you can go to the movies, you can go to the beach, you can go to NASCAR, you can go see a tennis match. Um, disposable income I'm competing with everyone's dollar that's out there already and so that's what I really enjoyed and the Panthers were a great opportunity for me to grow in my craft and career and promotion um, and work with some really great people at the time Chris overhaul was um, and Jeff Cogan were the leaders at the time when I was there and I had heard reputation, their reputation. I learned about their reputations, and I studied you know, where they've been, and, and talked to people who worked for them. So I knew they were great leaders, and uh, and to go and do things and be creative. And uh, and I remember one year we're selling tickets and we're launching this, and it's hockey in Florida. Who who wants to know about hockey in the middle of South Florida, where it's gorgeous, and you can go to Miami, you can go to the beach. And so we dropped massive blocks of ice all over the city like snow was coming. And inside were tickets to the game. So if you were smart enough to, you know, grab a block or do something with them, you know, all you're trying to do is create create emotion, create connectivity and awareness of your brand to get people to buy tickets or packages or, or single-game tickets.
2: So talking about creativity and innovation and then linking back into... Your 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 father around the Baltimore Ravens. Your vice president, marking there, you created a female fan initiative in what had been a really male-dominated fan base, and it was called Purple and Purple Friday. What was the secret to the success of Purple? Well, they're,
0: they're two different initiatives. Purple was geared toward um, obviously the female fan. But remember, Baltimore is an, is, a, is a teenage team. It's only, at the time, it was only about 25 years old. And, you know, the Packers just turned 100 last season. So you're dealing with a small market, a team that's brand new in the, in the blip of all the other teams. And this team is sandwiched by three dynasties, the Eagles to the north, the Steelers to the west, and the Redskins to the south. And so I, I, the thinking was, okay, who who controls the purse, purse strings? Who's going to be interested in coming to our venue and to to get it to, to growing attached to this brand? And I we just thought, oh, women, absolutely. And how do we reach them? And so Purple evolved with a way to speak to our fem- the female fans and and get them on board first because they're going to a bring their kids, bring their husbands, spend the money. And uh, and then and they're and we're going to grow them because they they the, they're the, they control the purse strings and you know obviously can kind of control the household. So that's that's where that started. Purple Friday was a whole separate initiative that was geared towards um, the community and getting everybody excited about the upcoming game. And that really was was I was watching um, my kids and I was like, well, aren't you going to the Ravens are playing this weekend? What are you going to do? and she should wear the jersey to school today. And so I wanted wanted our fans to really latch on and be proud of their fandom and celebrate it. So we worked with the city, we worked with all the schools to make it known that on Fridays, it is okay to dress in your Raven's gear and celebrate your fandom, especially being sandwiched by three different dynasties that had long history, that have long histories and deep followings.
2: So yeah, it's so important to that change that perception. And like you know, if everyone's wearing purple, everyone's starting to buy in, then the culture grows exponentially, doesn't it?
0: Right. And you wanted to see them at the bus stop. You want to see them at the grocery store, and that's when then the partnership group can then latch on and go, okay, you know, our grocery store partnership, our partner. If everyone's wearing purple. And we have guests coming in with purple, Uh, kids are getting free cookies or free cup of coffee at, you know, at the gas station if you're wearing purple. So it was a really great opportunity and partnership opportunity, both platforms to also um, create sponsorship behind that as well.
2: In 2014, the Green Bay Packers recruited you as the vice president of marketing and fan engagement. It must have been a marketer's dream to know you were going to work with a sports team that has such an incredible story. What was that moment like when you first walked into the famed Lambeau
0: Field? Well, I'd been here before when my dad was alive, and uh, and so um, and the atrium wasn't redone. It was it was uh, uh, gosh quite a while uh, before I got the job. Mm-hmm. So, walking in, and when you walk into our atrium, we have these large banners that hang our um, our um, Hall of Famers in Canton. And just to understand, to see all of that, I remember Brett Favre isn't up there yet, Bart Starr isn't up there yet, but, but you know, um, Don Hudson, uh, Lambeau, Lombardi, um, you're just like, Wow, what it was! It was overwhelming, and um, probably, probably I didn't know exactly what I, you know, what the breadth of what I was walking into because you're also in a new job, and you're like, goodness gracious, I hope I don't mess this up today, like <laughs> you know. So, so I think I was probably just overwhelmed and shocked, and understanding the greatness of Lambeau Field. But then, you know, in the back of my head is like, okay, what are we going to accomplish today? And, and I, I honestly, I was like, Mark Murphy has such high standards and, and this brand is so big. I hope I'm going to fill the shoes. I hope I can meet what's next for, for this brand and, and, and carry this through um, the, the timeline here and stewarding this brand.
2: So with a population of only 104,000 people, what do you think has been the key success for winning 13 world championship titles and being the only team to 3 peak and they've done it twice and being notorious for filling other team stadiums.
0: Well, I think there's two part there. I think that the leadership behind the scenes at the Green Bay Packers for the past 101 years has, is something that, that no other team can compare because it's public. Because there's no owner. It is owned by the fans. It is owned by the community. I mean, in 1925, you know, they had to pass the hat around to pay the players, you know, 50 bucks for the season or, or something to that extent. Or, um, you know, the best... How how fans are, are, are engaged and I mean, it's been... We've had five stock shares. And so every time... That a leader in this organization has gone to the community to to help keep this this franchise alive with fans have answer, and I think that is completely different. That is apples to oranges to any other and every other team that's out there in the NFL and even in the other leagues. That that makes the Packers so successful is because it's community owned. And and no disrespect, but there's no millionaire that's that's you know there's no one to point the finger to when something does go wrong it's going how do we continue to be better and how do we grow as a team because we're owned by the community and and what are we doing well and right that is for the community and, and that's being here and creating jobs and, and creating a destination for the small wonderful
1: town
2: so, so as a community owned team that the packers have sold out since 1960 with 360,000 shareholders and 160,000 on the wait list. This is an incredible statistic, you know, what advantages does the Packers have for being a community-owned team?
0: Well, I mean, for, for one, I think the advantage is, is that again, we're, we're, I always say, we're kind of everybody's second favorite team if you're not a Packers fan because we're, we, they, people uh, kind of gravitate toward the fact that it is a community-owned team. But I think what we're doing here now and the leadership that's in place right now from Mark Murphy and Ed Policy, creating um, Lambeau and Green Bay as a destination, a bucket list for fans to continue to come visit, because, you know, Craig, we don't have an owner. If something happens to this building, no one can write it you know we just don't have some millionaire just write a check and and collect the insurance yes of course it's all insured but but we have to reinvest in this community and we have to reinvest in this franchise to to keep it to where it's competitive in the nfl and that is really important so again we do we we reinvest everything that we make which is is different than other teams, but your owners and, and how they operate completely different. I mean, Steve Bashotti, who owned the Ravens, oh, fantastic human being. And, and you know, he doesn't live off the team. He doesn't need to. And so he can, but, but he controls the team, whereas, you know, the community here, we reinvest every single dollar into the making lambo better title time better and and our players area and, and, and everything that goes into football football is first here absolutely first and so is the field
2: that's like the all blacks in new zealand
0: <laughs> yes absolutely
2: so this year is a very special year for the packers as it turned 100 on the 11th of august and you've been very very busy celebrating the incredible history of the packers including the 13 titles legends such as curly lambau Vince Lombardi, and Brett Favre. What has been the centerpiece of the story with the campaign?
0: That's a really good question. I, I think the centerpiece, and it's not really public, but it was really neat to see all the staff completely engaged. So, Mark Murphy put a committee together before I, I even arrived. So, six, seven years ago, there was a committee that sat down and said how are we going to celebrate our 100 seasons how are we going to put a business plan together to make sure that we touch and do everything right for our 100 seasons year?" and this committee then met year after year and then as the as you know you're closer to it um monthly and then weekly and it was interesting because the committee created goals and those goals was far and first the first one was to thank the community and our fans for believing in the Packers for a hundred years. It was it was this organization was thankful and blessed. That was number one. There was nothing about sponsorship or sales or making any type of money off of what how we celebrated and thanked the hundredth season. And I think that resonated through the community and also through the staff in this organization so we probably have about 200 full-time employees but we have probably a thousand part-time employees and then on game day even more because lambo field is open 364 days a year so between all of our businesses and, and tours and hall of fame and restaurants and everything else that we do um the hundredth season was the first I think the camp, a campaign—not I wouldn't say first, I wasn't here, but it wasn't here—but the campaign that brought the staff and community and everybody who had touched the Packers in some way together, and that's pretty unique and powerful.
2: Connection is so important. So, so building a fan tribe is is so invaluable for sports teams. It's all about getting people who like you to love you. Nice. What are the, what are the values that are essential to every marketing decision the Packers make?
0: The values. Well, first of all, is it on brand always? Is it is it on brand, and, and that has been something that I think you know even back to to Curly Lambo and to to um, the start of the, the, this franchise. You know, how do we build this team and can't stay on brand? And then the second thing is, is stewardship. How do we continue to steward so? Whatever we do, is it gonna make us better if we leave here tomorrow? So I think the two values there is, is, is we value our brand and we value what, what the foundation that our brand is on and then we value stewarding our brand and taking care of our brand.
2: The, the Packers Everywhere initiative is all about being part of something bigger. I love this strategy because it's a very clever way to connect the larger Packers community for our listeners, what is it all about, and why is it something? Why is something so simple so successful?
0: <laughs> and you know, I mean, you just you nailed on the head. Why is something so simple so successful? Um, I think because it's again going back to community. It's community based. It's a way for our fans to reach each other or to connect with each other in that Packer community, and it's a web page. I mean, how simple is that? Uh, you know, I mean. It's 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 kind of like the very inexpensive Amazon Prime. <laughs> like you can all go there and get what you need. But uh, but I I think and I it wasn't it, it was actually Mark Murphy's idea to create a community, a location almost or a place where everybody can kind of gravitate and figure out. And so when we got here. It was just it just had bars on there, and you had to register yourself as a Packers Everywhere Bar. Well, then I was like, well, and then we started traveling to all these different cities and we learned, we were learning that, that um, the, the pep rallies were just growing and growing and people were following where the next rally was and making a bucket list trip because you can't, well, not a bucket list, but a trip to, for example, Tampa because you can't get tickets here. Hmm. And so it was easy to go someplace warm and, and go and see your Packers play and we, we started figuring out that the teams that, were sell, you know, that would sell the most tickets to our fans, um, typically, if there were tickets available for our fans would buy, we would host a pep rally. So, and, and it's been a process, but I think it's become a great community. So now we have clubs, now we've added fan, or sorry, bars, now we've added fan clubs. And so what we were also discovering is, for example, Los Angeles, large playing fan club. UK Packers large fan club. Um, there are there's clubs all over the U.S. and some in Europe that uh, that were getting together on their own. And so now we created that portal so that the that our fans could list their club. So if you happen to move from Green Bay to Orange County, you could go and find meet the club and watch the game and be with other Packer fans. So, and then lastly is all the social feeds and contests that are on that page, but it's, it's become hugely successful. And, uh, and the, uh, many teams call us and ask us how to replicate that. And I, I don't know the answer. <laughs> um, I blame our fans and our community because there's nothing else like it.
2: So, so the Packers are known for leveraging all its assets, including the stadium, as you know, you've kind of been talking about here. How important has the Packers Pass program been to continually grow the Packers fan base?
0: Well, I think it's the Packers Pass is basically a check-in, and so whether you're here at one of our events or you're on the road at the rally, it's basically an opportunity to know, hey, Craig, you were here, here, and here. We know where you are. We know where you. So it's basically telling us that you're a traveling and following us. B. We can reward you for being a fan, and now through we Pass, we'll send you to Perks, where now um, a new program we're launching. It's like a rewards card, and you can now gain points and and and, um, and and redeem them for gifts and prizes by just following us.
2: Sort of basing off, you know, like we're talking about your fans there, etc. Yeah. Do you have an idea what the non-Green Bay? Resident members worth value wisers to the Packers.
0: That's a really good question. Well, we have our season ticket holders, so we know we know who comes to the game, and we know who's there. Um, but if we looked at our zip codes of the season ticket holders, they would be from all over the U.S. Yeah. Wow. In fact, there's more private planes that fly into that airport to the um, Austin Struble Green Bay Airport uh, than any location that they say in the state of Wisconsin to come to a Packers game. And uh, and so our, I think, you know, on game day, you could probably say the most come from Wisconsin and that area. But then it's amazing when you look at zip codes because we do have a lot of fans that fly in for the game for the weekend and whatnot. And we also get a lot of visitors. We get a lot of people who come from out of town. And, uh, and then we get a lot of the opposing team fans who try to buy tickets. But because we've been sold out for so long, They're hard to come by. But the secondary market certainly has helped that. So with that kind of, we we actually, um, we embrace everything, you know, in Wisconsin. but We realize we have a a very large fan base outside of the state. And that's why Packers Everywhere exists. That's why we do pep rallies on the road and we take the show on the road is because we want to touch and interface with all of our fans no matter where we are. And even when we go and at some point we play in Europe, uh, whether it's in London or at the new Tottenham Stadium, we will make sure that we will head to other countries in Europe and celebrate our fandom and touch our fans and connect with our fans and continue to build that community.
2: Talking about community and you know, fan base is really resonating through here. Loyalty programs have become a really important part of building communities. So what was the brainchild behind the Packers Perks program and what makes it different to most other loyalty programs?
0: Oh, um, the brainchild, again, was rewarding our fans for reading our content. So whether it's social, on our website, wherever wherever you may go, reading that, reading that content. Um, we're actually working on a 2.0 version to launch in June. Uh, it, it's honestly like every other perk. I mean, I, I don't know if it's. I of course it's special. It's the Packers, but but I, I think though that it's just another way to connect with our fans in a different avenue. Um, and uh, and you know, and, and especially those fans like their rewards. Some people are slaves to Delta and Marriott and Hilton and their grocery store rewards, and so that definitely was a, a niche demographic that we were reaching just like we just launched our connected TV apps yesterday. And that's a whole nother market. Um, and you know, an age demographic that we're, we're going after.
2: Has, has there been a time, you know, so sort of going off the marketing aspects here. Has there been a time when someone has said no to you an idea or we tried that before and it didn't work and have you gone and done it and made it work? And if so, what was your approach to that?
0: have we done it and made it work i i, I can't i mean i get no's all the time <laughs> i mean that's the great part about this job is that you come up with an idea and, and see they either love it or they hate it or or you know for example yes i was said no to and that is thank you for reminding me it was the kickoff concert so uh i, I remember i i wrote a couple business plans the first couple years i got here Finally, by year, so it's four, year four, um, or no, year three, they said yes. And so, oh my gosh, people were just are you kidding me, Gabrielle? Why would we host a free concert in the parking lot on Saturday before our home opener? Everybody has pressure points. I mean, it was just. How are we gonna, you know, clean it? How are we gonna get everything done? So, the first year we hosted the Blues Travelers, and um, gosh, who was the second band. I'm forgetting the second band. Uh, a great evening, it was a ton of fun. Last uh, year, during our 100th season, we hosted the Steve Miller Band, they're from Wisconsin. They we had to shut down the street, we had to shut down, we had over 25,000 people showed up. And uh, and and my whole goal between before kickoff was to make kickoff weekend bigger. It was to to give us something to kick off the season, to start the celebration, and, and to really engage our fans and our community. That hey, here we are, ready to go. And um, and a lot of teams use it. I mean, we don't have to sell tickets and we don't have to generate um, awareness, but 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 the partnership team really liked it because. Um, you know, it's just made the weekend even bigger and it added to the game day value. Uh, the other reason is Green Bay has a two-night minimum. So what is everybody doing the night before a game? And there's only so many bars and restaurants that you can go to if you come here every year. So a show and a concert has become um, a really great evening before the game and, uh, and a great way to, to, again, build the community, grow the brand, and give back actually because it's free it's completely free and this year we hosted uh big and rich which is a country act here uh in the states and uh, and it was a lot of fun
2: oh, brilliant
0: it said no and now it's become such a great weekend that all the local bars so we'll they figure out what time we host our show so let's say it's six o'clock that we open you know the concert starts at seven we're done at 8 30 all the restaurants on bars will have live acts starting at nine or 930 so they will never cannibalize what we're doing and now they have they have added on to the weekend and, and plus up who they're bringing uh, for our kickoff weekend so businesses and restaurants are have jumped on board completely and so if I think we ended this next year it would be an uprising.
2: So recently you became a board director for Special Olympics Wisconsin. Oh which empowers individuals with intellectual disabilities and inspires people to accept, include, and value those with intellectual disabilities through the joy of sport. What was your purpose for joining such an incredible organization?
0: I think I, 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 I wanted to tie in sports oh. and, and, and a lot of children and, 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 um, Together, I mean, I wanted to do something that that related back to my core competency and how I could best serve the Special Olympics, and and through marketing and through sport and through understanding um, the business of sport uh, and helping them succeed. So, it, you know, is uh, I and it was a time and opportunity also because I have young children. Um, and and, uh, and Mark's like Gabrielle, make sure that, that you know you can commit to this because you do have little kids. And, um, and I also teach an MBA class on the side occasionally. <laughs> and so how, you know just making sure that that one of the time is right, um, and I, I wanted to make sure it was on the right board and that it really fits my expertise so that I could really give something back versus just being on a board because I'm a member of the Green Bay Packers leadership team. So.
2: Brilliant, I love it. You're a very busy executive who is always on the go. So what habits and routines do you incorporate to ensure that you achieve high levels of daily productivity and mental clarity?
0: I don't know if wine counts, but it might. Uh, no, I, uh, we actually have, uh, my husband has a gym, at, or I built a, a gym at the house, and so he and I get up and work out every day, so I'm addicted to beach yep. and um, that's a whole workout um, app that has a bunch of different workouts on it, and that is my time from 4.30 to 6 a.m., for me to be uh, so, I usually work out between five and six a.m. every day, and that is that is my time um, for me. And there's no emails, there's no texts. It's just me and whatever workouts going on, uh, and uh, and so that kind of that kind of releases uh, a lot of tension. And also sometimes though, it's my um, greatest thinking opportunity. So I always had a notepad. Uh, because all the phones are plugged into different music or, or got you know everything's being used because we have speakers and everything and then the, my iPad's the app but um, but I'll have paper and I'll write down oh I forgot about this or have this idea or make sure you follow up on that so I come to work actually with a piece of paper usually a running list of like bam 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 how I'm going to I'm gonna start my day, or you know, something's hot. Like I forgot to turn in something for the kids, or a field trip form didn't go in, or who knows what.
2: So we all know smart people have great answers, but the best people have great, uh, ask great questions. When was the last time you did something for the first time?
0: I visited your wonderful country and uh and that was a really great experience um and that was what april and uh and to um to to get the opportunity to speak at a conference in sydney and that's where we met um but but then to take that opportunity and go okay family we're going we're all gonna go and we're gonna see um australia and then we thought i thought we could drive (laughs) oh my gosh no, I literally thought from Cairns to um, Sydney was was like the state of California. Heck, no! So that was really funny. And I was like, "Oh no, we gotta fly everywhere." But uh, but you know, and oh, the kids were like, "Where are we going? What are we doing?" My husband's like, "Oh my gosh, how much are we spending?" And and it turned out to be the best family vacation we've ever taken and a lifetime memory that we will never forget and uh, and we all i mean and then i think oh, jeff and i decided that we will go back to brisbane usa for at least some type of, of anniversary that we've decided because we just fell in love with your beautiful country
2: brilliant brilliant what is the one question that you would love to solve
0: <sighs> uh This keeps me up at night. How, how are we going to, to get the generations years to a football game? Because right now, most of them only know devices and social media and video games and Fortnite and, um, and they know players by their names, not their teams. They maybe play fantasy if you're 10, maybe starting at nine, but, you know, those generations years that are, that are babies, they're coming up, how will they know how important it is to attend a, 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 any kind of live sporting event?
2: Yeah. Good question.
0: Because they don't, what, what, what are they used to? They're used yeah. to devices. They're used, they're not, you know, they're not used to social interaction and eye to eye and communication. Mm. And so how do we how do we get A get them here? And then B, get them engaged. Because I don't want them looking at their phones, I want them looking at the field.
2: At Active CEO, we're passionate about making a difference in people's lives. So we like to leave them with a call to action. What is one piece of advice or call to action you would like to share with our listeners?
0: I always ask, you know, how do you break into this business? and I get asked that all the time, and I would just say in turn, internships. If you have any interest in breaking into the, the sports and entertainment business, a intern all through, through high school, college, and, and, and grad school, wherever you can. But B, I would also say keep an open mind. So many people just want to be in marketing. Well, I mean, I was in PR and events before I got to marketing. And, uh, and in law. So, you know, whether the door opens and you're a sales intern or a um, community outreach intern, or even the position is not the position you want in marketing, there's too many people out there supply and demand for you to ever, you know, you can't look at it like that like, oh, I'm just gonna keep applying, I'm just gonna get this job, I'm gonna get the job. You won't get the job unless you have the experience so go get it from wherever you can and intern as much as you possible if you really want to be in this business and 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 to get a line up
2: how can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you uh
0: well um it's a public company so my email's out there i'm sure <laughs> but uh but linkedin is fine and uh and you can reach me on linkedin or, um, or actually, um, I think, you know, our website has every, all of our information listed. So, um, I, you know, I, we actually answer, um, when I, when I do get a, um, no, I get a lot of, of really ah, wonderful requests. I cannot, I know that it's your, your mom's birthday and she's coming <laughs> to Lambeau Field and Aaron Rodgers cannot stop and say hello. I get that. Unfortunately, those kind of requests are wonderful, but they're also impossible to accomplish because there's 81,000 other people who would love to meet Aaron Rodgers as well, than sitting in the stands. So, um, so those kind of requests, you know, we always respond to and go, "Listen, we'd love to help you, but this, that, and this." But there's a lot of times where people will reach out, and and if we can make a difference, we will. And you know, and, you know, and especially if it's something with. Um, someone who's ill or in the hospital or, I mean, I've never been in an organization where our community outreach people religiously reach out to everybody, anybody who's a fan, and, uh, and, and we share in their concern and, and, and compassion and, uh, and, you know, again, we're community. We're community-owned and we're about the community of our fans. And so anyone who reaches out, I typically do respond, not not right away. But um, and if I if I don't respond I usually forward it on to a department that knows how to answer
2: the question so Gabriel, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today it's been fascinating listening to your insights about when you were young and you sort of learning or understanding a little bit around from sport through your dad and through his involvement in NFL to to go down one path of being a lawyer and then end up being in marketing and just how you took that journey and took the opportunities in front of you to create a a wonderful life that you've had now and to be able to now lead other people through, say, delivering an MBA or being involved in Special Olympics is, is very heartwarming. And so well done on being able to do that. To hear the history and understand how things are put together from a Green Bay Packers point of view is fantastic for our listeners you know to see that there's a lot of forethought uh, foresight and planning that's involved you know say for the hundred years it was developed with the committee over six or seven years it's not just something that happened all right well we get hundred years this year let's do it now so a lot of that planning that goes in behind it and to your insights around how it's why it's so important to connect your fans and engage them and make them part of the experience rather than just the observers of the experience So thank you very much for your time and and your wonderful enthusiasm today. And we wish you well with your 101st season at Green Bay Packers. Uh, And uh, it's great to see the team winning.
0: Thank you, Craig, and I hope you feel better.
2: On this week's Active CEO Performance Tip, we talk about titles don't reflect intelligence. Many people consider that having a title means they know more, have better answers and make better decisions. As a leader, you need to bring people to the table who know more than you do and be the conductor of intelligence in the room. Your role as a leader is to guide, nurture, and make sense of the collective intelligence so that as a united team, you can deliver something more special than any one individual. It is collective skill stacking, which allows the team or company to own its own space. This is how you develop true competitive advantage. Thank you for listening to an engaging conversation with Gabriel Dow, Green Bay Packers experience on episode 64 of the active CEO podcast. How often do you find yourself in bed, unable to sleep, because you still have work ideas, stress, and conversations in your head? Through CEO Performance, we have found that setting boundaries and creating cues that differentiate between work and home life, allow you to free your mind and recover with purpose. A recent work stress study conducted by Harris Interactive showed that 83% of workers say they're stressed out about their jobs, and nearly 50% say work-related stress is interfering with their sleep. We know that sleeping less than six hours each night is one of the best predictors of burnout. If you're struggling with getting enough sleep and are feeling exhausted and stressed, then contact Craig Johns at Craig at NRG, the number two, perform.com or on the contact page of the www.nrg2perform.com website and we can show you how the CEO performance tools can create the boundary and cue routines you need so you can perform at a higher level this is the active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong
1: Join the active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG2Perform. Leave a review on iTunes, drop us a line with your feedback and questions, and connect with us on the nrg to perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.